0: We read God's Word in Luke 11 this morning, and in that chapter, the first 13 verses... And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him, to them that ask him? This far we read the Word of God. We take Lord's Day 45 also and in its instruction as the basis for the sermon this morning. Questions and answers 116 through 119. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us. And also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of Him and are thankful for them. What are the requisites of that prayer which is acceptable to God and which He will hear? First, that we from the heart pray to the one true God only, who hath manifested himself in his word, for all things he hath commanded us to ask of him. Secondly, that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery, so that we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of his divine majesty. Thirdly, that we be fully persuaded that he, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer as he has promised us in his word. What hath God commanded us to ask of him? All things necessary for soul and body, which Christ our Lord has comprised in that prayer, he himself has taught us. And then follows the words of the Lord's Prayer. Beloved saints in Christ, how is your prayer life? Is it faithful? Is it fervent? Is it frequent? When you rise from prayer, do you say, I know he heard? Or do you say, I don't know if that did any good? When you rise from prayer, do you say, I'll go about my day now. I'll do what's set before me, knowing that he will give the grace moment by moment. Or do you say, well, it was pointless to pray. I have so much to do. I shouldn't have bothered spending time praying first. I should have just got right at the work I have to do. And every one of us, as we answer those questions for ourselves, in one way or another, will admit that our prayer life is not perfect. Well, neither are we. We are this side of the grave. And our Lord understands that, and His disciples understood that, and therefore when they came to Him saying, Lord, teach us to pray, He didn't say to them, teach you to pray? You should already know how to pray. You should know what to pray for. You should know how diligently and faithfully and fervently to pray. You should know why to pray. No, he said, I will teach you to pray. And today, too, we come to school to be taught. It's striking, isn't it, that we have to be taught? There's another part of us that would say, but I don't need to be taught. That is... pride that exists in every one of us. And it doesn't just show itself when it comes to being taught about prayer. Other things too, we would say, I don't need to be taught. I can find it on my own. No, when it comes to prayer, we need to be taught. For one thing, we need to be taught because there is in us that old man, and that old man will not pray. That old man will impede our prayer life. He will restrain our prayer life, do everything possible so that we do not pray. The new man in us, who is but small and still growing, needs to be taught. And then, in the second place, we need to be taught because our whole life we need to grow. In other words, the lesson about prayer, just as the lessons about the law of God, are not the sort that we learn in fifth grade or in essentials class, and then say, no, I don't need to go over them again. I learned them once, but these are lessons we need to learn again and again and again. So it's fitting that not only did the disciples ask our Lord to teach them to pray, but that the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us to pray. And in so doing, it asks basic questions, Questions that we're going to make our own. Before we give the answers to them, we're going to understand the question this morning because they have to be our question. Part of being ready to learn is coming with the right questions. As we saw last week, the examination of the law and the conclusion of the Catechism's treatment of the law. In question and answer 115, let us write into the matter of prayer. I don't keep the law perfectly. So pray. I see my guilt. So pray for the righteousness of Christ. I see my inability. So pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, why is prayer necessary for Christians? I'll give a different answer near the end of the first point, but in a nutshell, because the law taught me what a needy person I am. So examine with me this morning as we are taught by Christ in the school of prayer, the ABCs of prayer, always necessary Believing God hears and commanded to ask for necessities. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? There are some who will tell you it's a waste of time. And again, our old man in us will try to tell us it's a waste of time. Some will use a very theological approach. Isn't your God sovereign? Hasn't he decided from all eternity what's going to happen in your life? Doesn't he know today what today holds? Why would you pray? It won't make a difference. Others will use a very pietistic rationale for not praying. My relationship to God encompasses my whole life. Why must I set aside time to pray if my whole life I seek to live close to God? And others will use a very practical reason not to pray. Prayer not only takes time I could spend doing other things, but especially public prayer brings persecution on me. You remember, of course, the story of Daniel and his three friends and the trouble that the world visited on them because they would pray to the one only true God why should i expose myself to that suffering now question 116 doesn't ask is prayer necessary and therefore it's really not open and the answer presented us isn't open to hearing any of these objections be they doctrinal or pietistic or practical the assumption is that prayer is necessary, and the question is simply this. Why? And every child of God, the new man in you and me now, gets this point. I need not convince you today why you should pray. Not why you should, as if that not to pray is an option, but rather our new man is going to be taught why we do do and why for a Christian prayer is sort of what for any other human food and drink and breathing and the beating of the heart is a spontaneous, a natural activity of the body, in the case of eating and breathing, of the soul in the case of prayer. The answer is that prayer is necessary, first of all, because it is commanded. I'm going to go to the second part of the answer here. God will give His grace and Holy Spirit to those only. Actually, it's not specifically the catechism making the point. Underscored is that prayer is commanded and That's why the catechism will go on to say how we are to pray because the how is commanded and what we are to pray for because also the what is commanded and every place in which God tells us in the scriptures, in the psalms, or Jesus in the gospel accounts, the apostles in the epistles, pray for this and pray in this way that is a command of God to pray. Think of, for instance, the apostle Paul Not only exhorting the Ephesians, pray for us, have the ministry of the gospel in your prayers, but also telling them, now the Thessalonians, in everything give thanks and pray without ceasing. Even our Lord in the passage that we read, not only taught the disciples to pray, when ye pray, say, that's a command, but later said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Do these things. Prayer is a command. Not to pray is disobedience. There are many forms prayer takes, of course, and maybe at this point I need to underscore that. There are times when prayer is public and other times when it's private. Times when I'm on my knees, times when I'm sitting around the table and I'm orally, audibly praying so others can hear me, and other times when as I'm driving down the road, I'm speaking to God in my heart, but my eyes are not closed and my hands are not folded, and yet I'm praying. Many forms it takes. If there are none of those forms in your life, you are not obedient to the Word of God and the command to pray. That, first of all, is why it is necessary. But now the catechism says it is the chief part of thankfulness. And this underscores even more again why it will be inevitable for the Christian to pray. Because the reason why we pray and why in prayer we address the one and only true God is all that he has done for us in Jesus Christ. When I contemplate all of the earthly gifts God has given me today, wealth, warmth, shelter, clothing, etc. But then when I also see that I have a family, an earthly family and a church family, and then when I contemplate that all of these gifts are given to a sinner who is unworthy of the least of them, but that God gives them on the basis of the shed blood of Christ, that He loves me for Christ's sake, That he sent Christ to die for me and earn for me the blessings of eternal life. And that in prayer I am beseeching God now to pour out those blessings on me by his grace and his Holy Spirit. This is the chief part of thankfulness. There are two parts of thankfulness. You understand that when the catechism speaks of prayer being the chief part, it has in mind... The whole sec- uh, third part of the catechism in its twofold division. The law and prayer. Keeping the law is thankfulness. It's gratitude. But it's not enough. Prayer is necessary. How to explain that? Well, it's like this. Suppose somebody did something for you a very kind deed, a deed which you stood very much in need of, and you, in return, were very kind to them. That would show gratitude. But did you say thank you? Did you also use your words? Prayer is the chief part of gratitude because mere actions, mere outward actions, could express something other than gratitude. They could express manipulation. They could express, I'm just going to live in such a way that you're not going to be able to, to, to come at me and to tell me that I'm doing things wrong. But when it's an obedience that comes from the heart, then prayer will accompany it. The words will accompany The actions. Besides, prayer is the chief part of thankfulness because it's speaking to God. It's the needy one speaking to the giver. It's the sinner speaking to the redeemer and sanctifier. Oh, prayer is necessary. The catechism then goes on in 116 to say that God will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of him and are thankful for them. Here again, one might find supposedly doctrinal objections. God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who ask. Doesn't that make prayer a condition that I have to fulfill before God does something? Is that possible? How can that be? Well, maybe the question is understandable, especially in the mind of a, a person who's new to the Reformed faith, but the very fact that it's asserted in the Catechism by fathers, Reformed fathers, hundreds of years ago, who knew in principle form, all the objections that could come against Reformed theology, and who were writing a catechism that opposed conditions as Rome presented them, the fact that it's here tells you already, no, you can't construe this to be teaching conditional theology. Nor can you construe the words of Jesus Christ to be doing that, And Jesus Christ himself taught, in the passage we read, the very points underscored here. God will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those only who continually ask them of him and are thankful for them. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? That's our Lord. And he was no conditional theologian. The point being underscored here then is that when God gives the most precious and valuable of gifts, He gives it to those who understand our need and from where our need is supplied. You might say, well, Doesn't God give bread to the wicked, but they never asked? But he doesn't give his grace and Holy Spirit to them, does he? With giving bread, he doesn't give them contentment and trust and dependence on him, does he? So that one doesn't work. This really is a a, a truth that applies in the life of those who are God's children, renewed by the Spirit, But he creates in us an understanding of our need and that he's the only one who can supply the need. That's the point being expressed here. So if you don't pray, or if I don't pray, at bottom it's because I don't think I need much. Or I think that whatever I do need, I'm able to supply in my own strength. Isn't that arrogant? But my old man is arrogant. I need to pray. Well, I've looked at three reasons it's commanded. It's the chief part of thankfulness, and it is simply the way God works in fellowshipping with His children in a covenant relationship that He gives His grace and Holy Spirit to those who ask and are thankful. That leads to one point that underlies these all, and that is again that prayer is not only necessary in that you can give reasons why you have to do it, but it's inevitable. Why is prayer necessary for the Christian is as much as to say, why must the lungs expand and contract for there to be life? Why must the heart keep beating if there's blood going to be coursing through my body? The answer is, that's a means by which God sustains life. And it's inevitable that the heart beats under the direction and control of God. Inevitable that the lungs breathe. Inevitable that the child of God prays. Why is prayer necessary for the Christian? Because in prayer, spontaneously, I breathe in the mercies of God and I exhale praises to Him who saved me. Now, if somebody doesn't get this yet, they don't know God. It's inevitable. Young people, children, that means that you In addition to the times that dad prays about the table, you will want to pray when you go to bed at night. It means that when you wake up in the morning, you will want to pray. You will desire to pray. I didn't say you will do it every day, but then I'm not defending when you don't do it every day. You will want to. You will recognize the need to. And young people, it's a reason why in a restaurant you may pray. When you're with your friends, you may pray. It's not just you may, prayer is necessary. This is why Daniel opened his window toward Jerusalem. When he heard that it was outlawed to pray to the one true God. And said, I'm going to do it. It wasn't because he was stubborn. He was steadfast. It wasn't because he wanted to make a scene. It's because he said, I can't live without prayer. That's the A. Always necessary. So in the second place, what characterizes that prayer? What are the requisites of that prayer which is acceptable to God and which he will hear? Believing that God hears is the B of the ABCs of prayer. And the B starts with a question, what kind of prayer then must I pray? Here again, not only does our old man of sin have a response that's wrong, but even the world around us Really, God is pleased with any kind of prayer. That is a notion that's common today. And it shows itself in the view of worship that God is pleased with any kind of worship. For prayer really is an element of worship. And my and your personal prayers is a personal aspect of worship. So when some say God is pleased with any prayer, God is pleased with any worship, come as you are, just open up your heart to him, They're missing a point. Oh, maybe they say they're emphasizing a point that needs emphasizing. Let's not overlook it. The point that needs emphasizing is God does receive the sinner's prayers and worship. All right? We've emphasized that, but not just any way. And there are Scripture passages that make the point. Listen to these from Proverbs 15. The sacrifice of the wicked. Now, what better thing could one do than sacrifice? God had commanded sacrifice. It was worship. It was even a form of prayer. The people as they sacrificed prayed. The sacrifice of the wicked, does God love? Does God say, I'll take anyone, come the way you are? The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. So it isn't true that you can just pray any way you want. The God who commanded us to pray also said this is how we will pray. The God who commanded us to pray is the holy Reverent God, we'll call Him our Father after all. We'll be taught that next week, the Lord willing. And we who pray to Him are needy children. How we pray matters. And I forget how. And you forget how. So let's hear what those requisites are. And the basic requisite is, I must believe God will hear. Pray in confidence, the writer to the Hebrews drives home the point if in Hebrews 11, verse 6 He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. But in addition, in the passage that we read, Jesus is underscoring the need for confidence, and He does that with reference to a, 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 an earthly scenario. And that is that at the stroke of midnight, when everyone is sleeping in their bed, some man gets a knock on his door, and it's a friend who came from a journey far away, and the friend needs lodging, and the friend is hungry. But the man, the householder, has no bread to give him. And therefore, he goes and knocks on another door, the door of his neighbor, and he says to his neighbor, friend, lend me three loaves. Now, Jesus says, there's a response that man might give, but he won't. And the response might be, I'm I'm sleeping. This is not a convenient time. But because of his importunity, because the need is so pressing, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. That's confidence. Confidence. When the first man knocked on his friend's door and said, I'm here and I need a food and place to stay at midnight, that's confidence. And when the man then went to his neighbor and said, I need bread, that's confidence. And when Jesus says, now seek and ask and knock and it shall be opened unto you, that's instilling confidence. Why must we pray in this confidence? Because we know both the love of God for his people and the power of God to give us what we need. Besides, this confidence proceeds from an understanding that we are indeed God's friends in Jesus Christ. Don't pray in confidence then when I think God hates me. When I haven't repented of my sin. When I'm going to live in sin but want God just to spare me from sin's consequences, then I can't come to him with confidence. But when I understand that God has redeemed me in Jesus Christ and made me his child, his friend, and will do only good, then I have confidence and can come to him in prayer. Answer 117 sets forth a number of elements that form the foundation for that confidence. And the first is that God exists. We pray from the heart to the one true God only. God exists. And not just that there is a God, some supreme power and being. Jehovah, the covenant God, exists. We don't pray with Muslims to their God. We don't pray with Jews to their God. We pray with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to the one only true God. Then, the God who exists is the God who has revealed himself in Scripture. And there's at least two points to underscore from that. The first is, if I don't know God truly, I'm still not in a position to pray to him. And the way to know God truly is to read and understand the scriptures. The second is if prayer is part of a covenant relationship and communion with God, is not the reading of the word the other half of the equation? I pray to Him, and He speaks to me. He speaks to me in the Scriptures, and therefore I ought pray before I go to the Scriptures in order that I'm able to receive them rightly. Then I open them up, and I read them, and I receive the Word of God, and they lead me and drive me to prayer again. And in this way, prayer is fellowship with Jehovah God. Thirdly, says the Catechism, We must have a consciousness of our need and our unworthiness. Self-confidence is not the kind of confidence we need to pray. I say we must come confidently, not self-confidently. That is, the confidence is not rooted in us. The prayer of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. What do you have? What do you have to bring to God? That would make him want to hear your prayer. What righteousness can you bring forth? Are you like Cain? Am I like Cain? Who says I have these good fruits. I raise them myself. Surely you'll hear my prayer. No the confidence is the confidence of Jesus Christ. And so this confidence. Believing he hears. This confidence is not arrogant it's not presumption it is instead of looking to Jesus Christ and saying for his sake God will hear there's a reason why we add the words for Christ's sake or in Christ's name Jesus didn't put those words in the Lord's prayer But the idea is still there, even though he didn't express it concretely or in as many words, it's embedded already in the words, our Father. How is God our Father? Only for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so we add the words for Christ's sake because as we come to God with any petition on our lips or in our heart, we do so looking to the cross of Jesus Christ and seeing that because Christ bore our sins in our human nature and he bore the wrath of God fully, therefore we have the right to come to God. In fact, we look not only to the cross of Christ, but we remember the resurrection of Christ and the power of his resurrection and the promise implied in that resurrection that the blessings Christ earned would come to us. And then we remember that this Jesus Christ is now seated at God's right hand. He is our intercessor. And as our intercessor, he perfects our prayers and prays that God will hear and answer, and it's for that sake, on that basis, that we have confidence. This is why the person who will live in his sin can't really pray, because the person who's going to live in his sin but just pray that God will help him get out of this scrape or this consequence of sin. He isn't coming through Christ. He isn't seeing his unworthiness. He isn't confessing it fully and saying that he is of himself unworthy and undeserving and that for the sake of Christ, God will hear. For one who comes to God in and for the sake of Jesus Christ says, I'm unworthy or for the sake of thine only begotten and beloved Son. Thou wilt hear my prayer. Now, as the catechism explains the how, and as I've set forth the gospel in this connection, that's meant to encourage you and me as we recognize the imperfections of our prayers yet. I don't want to leave the impression that if you're not fully, that isn't 100% confident, and that if in any small respect you find your prayer life deficient, that you'd better not pray. The child of God who comes to God in prayer is an imperfect child of God. And that imperfection shows itself even in our prayer life. The point is, but you're not content with that, are you? We don't excuse that. Rather, one thing we pray for as we seek God's grace and Holy Spirit is that even our prayer life be stronger and more glorifying to God. And so what a comfort it is for us to know that at the right hand of God, not only does Jesus pray for us and by His Holy Spirit pour out upon us all that we need, but He perfects our prayers. He brings them to God in a perfect form. We He used the words of one of our Reformed Fathers in praying, just stammer a few words. And he's speaking of the prayer of the child of God. Stammer a few words. And the Lord perfects that and translates it into a perfect prayer. And God hears. Do you believe that? The third part of the lesson that we have to learn about prayer regards what we pray for. And so the sea is commanded to ask for necessities. The God who commands us to pray and how to pray also commands us for what to pray, the grace of God and His Holy Spirit. You understand the necessity of speaking that way. Jesus said, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? You understand that that's our basic necessity. And praying for the Holy Spirit does not rule out prayers for the body. The Catechism says that we pray for all things necessary for soul and body, which Christ our Lord has comprised in that prayer He Himself has taught us. He'll teach us to pray for our daily bread. Even then, we're seeking, in addition to enough for the body for today, we're seeking the Holy Spirit and spiritual graces. That we pray for all things necessary for soul and body means that you and I need to know what our needs truly are. Before we pray, we must understand what our needs are and what our needs are not. And our needs are not to have everything that the world has. Our needs are not that we have the esteem of the world. Our need is not that we have everything that would make us happy here below. But our need is grace to serve God and obey His law. And so we pray for the necessities. But our Lord sets forth in the Lord's Prayer a model He therefore teaches us to pray only for that which is necessary for soul and body, but he also teaches us that it's okay to do so briefly. This is a short prayer. I'm not meaning to leave the impression that every prayer we pray may and should be brief. Psalm 119 is a prayer also, and it's much longer than the Lord's Prayer, but from start to finish, it is a prayer. And there are other prayers in the Bible likewise, but there are times when our prayers may be brief. At the same time, this prayer is comprehensive. In other words, if praying just briefly means that I overlook some of my basic needs, that I haven't really followed the instruction our Lord sets here in this prayer. In a very brief and succinct form, He teaches us to bring our fundamental spiritual and bodily needs before our Heavenly Father in prayer. And therefore, also, this prayer sets a template for ours. The Lord is not saying to His disciples, don't ever use any other words, but He's saying here are the basic principles In prayer, seek the glory of God. Seek the kingdom of God and not your own. Seek the carrying out of the will of God and not your own. Seek the supply of that which you need for body, yes. But then don't forget to seek for grace both that your sins be forgiven and grace to forgive those who sinned against you. And don't forget the great battle in which you stand and fight, the battle against sin and Satan. So pray for grace in that battle. He teaches us the principles of prayer. And he does so as the great master prayer himself. When we examined the law, we saw time and time again that the law was not only something Jesus interpreted for us and taught us, but something he himself kept. And it's in his perfect righteousness and keeping of the law that we find the power and the example and the possibility of keeping the law. Likewise, with prayer. Aren't you reassured as you come to learn in the school of prayer, you're not going to learn, first of all, from me I need the lessons as badly as you do, but we're going to learn from him whose prayers were perfect and who you found time and time again. Some people would act as if he was ignoring real matters, off praying somewhere because he knew the necessity of prayer, was confident his father would hear, and knew for what he needed to pray. Following then and taking to heart the ABCs, we can go on and learn more next week for what to pray, but may God, and this now is our prayer, may God give us to learn well. Amen. Oh, necessary, Heavenly Father, that we learn well in this school. The lessons about thy law we learned, but we'll need to learn them again. We're ready to hear the lessons about prayer, and someday we'll need to be reminded again. So by thy grace and Holy Spirit, continually drive home these principles so that we're mindful of them every day and we implement them every day. If there's anyone now in the congregation or any of our brothers or sisters elsewhere who doubt, though they're not walking in sin, though they hate sin and love thee and know thee, but they doubt that thou wilt hear and answer because they're not sure their own sins are forgiven for the sake of Christ, create in them the confidence which they need to pray to thee. We ask for Jesus' sake, amen.